Christmas. It is our Christmas edition of What Do You Know About Sports, recording this on December the 19th, 2023. So with Christmas only a few days away, uh, that's going to be uh, sort of our theme today. Uh, and welcome to the show. Randy Steinman, longtime sportscaster here. We've got Gary Jeffries, longtime coach, and Lance Roberts, longtime referee and official. And uh, fellas, uh, Merry Christmas. How are we doing? Pretty festive. We're ready to go. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you as well. That's a that's a fine looking uh, Christmas tree you've got there, Lance. I worked all night on that. <laughs> I'll bet. I don't know that it looks uh, wide enough to get any presents under there, but uh... well, don't tell Karen that I said I worked on that. Okay? <laughs> well, good luck. Good luck with it. All right, well, we got uh, lots to talk about this week, and uh, we'll start with what uh, just happened the other day. The uh, Ottawa Senators. Uh, made a coaching change. They uh, got uh, they got rid of DJ Smith following a four game uh, losing skid uh, week before Christmas. Uh, you know, Merry Christmas, DJ Smith. Um, Jacques Martin will be the interim coach. And uh, less than a week ago, uh, there was another coaching change in pro sports where the LA Chargers fired their head coach and general manager with only three games left in this season. And uh, the question is, do midseason changes like that help or hurt a professional sports team? What do you think, Lance? Well, yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about. This whole thing with uh, it kind of tweaked me a little bit when they, um, when this DJ Smith got let go, and he's one of the one of the long longer term guys of like five years, I think that uh, the coach in Tampa Bay. Um, he's been there for 10 years and he's, he's the longest serving coach right now in, uh, in the game. And, um, it just seems that when these things happen, you kind of wonder, does it make a difference when they do that? That what is the difference maker? Some teams do better. Calgary didn't do any better after Daryl Sutter got let go. And then you see the Edmonton Oilers are starting to find the you know, starting to move now in regards to the change that they made. And I just I didn't think that Will Croft was that bad a coach. Took them to the semifinals last year, in the to the Stanley Cup. They were playing well, and then all of a sudden, start of the season, things aren't going well. Uh, I think the the Calgary Flames haven't really had a big success story from their change. Daryl Sutter, Ubador hasn't really played as well as he could. So I just found it really interesting that these uh, coaches seem to be changed, you know, so rapidly, and they all seem to recycle through the league. So it just you know, we, we, the one coach goes here, another coach goes there, and they end up coaching somewhere else. And uh, some guys do get a chance to break in coming up for the minors, which has been happening more now, I think. Uh, I just don't know if there's that motivation really does make that change. I guess a change of pace for line changes, different guys get different chances. Football, I'm seeing football's had like a rapid coach is being let go. And uh, maybe you could speak to that, Gary, and how that could – change a team's dynamics rather quickly. I think it would change a lot more in football than it would in hockey. That's my thought because you're going to get different play strategies and different things like that. But uh, the one, the LA Chargers, I think the coach, the the guy was on the, in the intermission, the uh, halftime saying they should, they should fire him right now. <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting take on that. So, but Gary, like, do you find that football or uh, have you found that coaching changes? You've been, you've been in that position yourself. Yeah, I, I think there's you know there's a couple of things. Um, I, I think with a with a change, um, and maybe this relates more to hockey. Um, there there can be a uh, like an initial boost, um, 
And uh, I don't know whether it's the, in, in some cases the players that they, they want to impress the the new bench boss, and and uh, you know they they come to the rink with a different attitude. Um, uh, I, I think uh, in, in football, um, I, I think you have to look at, and you mentioned it, um, at uh, you know scheme and how you play, um, and. Uh, it's imperative that you get the right pieces in the right places, um, and maybe somebody else coming in, uh, you know, c- can make some can make some changes in that regard. It, it, it uh, the, the worst thing you can do in coaching is, uh, you know, is have a, a philosophy, and you try and uh, you try and uh, place that philosophy on your group, and, and that group may not be. Uh, uh, the, the best uh, skilled uh, to play the way you want to play. And uh, so uh, somebody else might come in and, and recognize that to a certain degree and, and, and uh, change some kids around. And, um, and so, you know, you, you could potentially uh, have a boost in, in that way. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think overall um, it, it's, it's inconsistent. You don't know for sure whether it's going to, it's going to work or not. Um, if uh, if your team's not winning and you're not having success, uh, you hear all the time that they can't get rid of the players. Uh, so the, the you know the easiest thing for the GM to do, he's not going to fire himself. Uh, so he gets rid of the coach, and uh, but that seems to happen. Uh, um, and, and it's a shame, as you said, a uh, week before Christmas for for GJ that DJ rather that, uh, that that's pretty tough. I think I think if a coach has lost a room, I, I don't think it really even matters uh, what point of the season it is. I think if 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 a, a coach just has lost the the group, um, a coaching change is probably never a bad thing. To wait till the end of the season to make a change, I don't know what what's really the point of just prolonging it. Um, with the Chargers, I certainly got the feeling that that team had really just sort of fallen into some bad disarray under that coach and, and the general manager too, that wasn't just a coaching change. Um, so with three games left in the season, why not make that change now, get sort of a better, more positive vibe, hopefully more positive vibe for the last three games and, and, uh, have some good feelings, uh, heading into the off season. Well, sometimes it's, it's the players that have to take account when that happens, I guess they, they have to kind of take a look in the mirror when the coach is let go. I mean, it's not always the coach, not always their system, but there's, there is some merit to it that you can't wait. Do you wait? You know, the, the, the timing is tough to, to make a decision on whether you're going to wait or not, whether you're going to make those decisions. Maybe, you know, you look at baseball does all theirs. A lot of their coaching changes don't happen mid season. So I think in the basketball is the same way. They seem in, they, they talk about, they don't really fire. they, you know, mutually release or something like that kind of concept. Mm. I find in hockey, it's like, you know, they're not winning, you're gone. Kind of, kind of an attitude. So it's it, every sport has a little different approach to it. I think in baseball, in the history of baseball, there have only been two coaching managerial changes mid-season where a team went on to win a championship, and one was with the the Yankees in the late '70s, where they got rid of Billy Martin and uh, brought in Bob Lemon. And then uh, 2003, Florida fired uh, their manager, Jeff Torberg, midseason, um, brought in Jack McKeon, and he won a World Series with the Marlins. But that's 
only two times in history that that's ever happened in baseball where a team went on to win a championship after a midseason change like that. I think being able to relate to your kids, to your players, is paramount. And uh, as you said, if you if the if the coach loses the room, uh, it's really really going to be hard to be successful. I think that that scenario last year, Vancouver with Bruce Boudreau was awful though. I mean, they had him hanging there, and, the, and it was like, and he ha- he handled it so well with the media too, watching him talk to the media and stuff. There are some other interviews with him and. He didn't even know what was happening himself. And, you know, those types of things, I, I think it's better just to walk in and, and, and you know, just, just cut the cord as opposed to letting them drag out like DJ Smith went through and Bruce Bruger went through. And, I mean, Sporting World's cruel when it comes to things like that, for sure. But I, I just, I just, it just interests me watching this carousel of coaches and going from different places to different teams doing the same thing, and some are successful, some aren't. Yeah. As a coach, you're hired to be fired. Yeah. I, think, uh, I think when you take on that role, you, you know that going in, uh, that there's very few that uh, that stay in one place for you know an extended period of time. So uh, that's uh, that's just the that's just the business. Yep. All right. Great discussion, guys. Let's move on. Uh, the new provi- professional women's hockey league, the PWHL, will. Uh, Face off, they'll make its debut on New Year's Day. It's a six-team league, three teams in the U.S., three teams in Canada. And um, this isn't the first attempt at a women's league, but this is seems to be the highest profile and uh, the best start that a women's league has ever had. And I'm just wondering what we all think this league will need to be successful and I'll I'll start by just saying I think this is really up to uh, the corporate world and the fans to throw their support behind this new league. There's no question that there are fantastic women's hockey players out there. They uh, they held a sort of a free agent period where each team got to sign three players. Then they held a draft, and 90 players were drafted. And believe me, they had great players to choose from in that draft. They, they picked 90 out of a potential 280-something. So you know the players are going to be good. The, the, the product on the ice is going to be fantastic. But I really think this is now up to uh, the corporate world and the fans to throw their support behind this league and fill the seats and... Uh, provide some much needed cash to make this thing go. What do you think? Well, I think that the biggest thing, as you said, it was if they have all the marketing that's involved now in sports, if they get strong marketing and strong corporation support, that'll be a, that'll be the first thing they have to have. And mostly they need to have a competitive league. You can't have a two team league like the international stage with U S and Canada. Other countries are starting to catch up. But I, I really believe that they're gonna have, they, they're, they're gonna make a good run at it because I I mean, uh, female hockey is growing rapidly in the country. It's become you know there's a lot of great female athletes coming out of hockey right now and playing at a high level. We got female officials coming through the system that are going to be you know ready to work those leagues at a high level. Um, at, and they did it right by you know not starting out till they're ready to go. 
It's going to be a short season. Get a good look at it, and then come back next year. You know, with a, with some excitement again. I think I, I'm really going to be interested. I'm going to try to watch it because I think it's going to be really interesting to watch because those girls, they're get, their skill level is getting to such a level now where they're going to make it interesting out there to watch the hockey games. You just had seen a big crowd at Kitchener for the U.S.-Canada that Summit Series are having, and a lot of people watched it on TV, and I think it's got some good exposure right now. Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's such a great product. Uh, the, the women's game is is uh... – it's so good, uh, as you said, Lance. It's not just a, a you know two teams, uh, Canada and the U.S. as as in the World Championships. It uh, it seems to always come down to them. Um, th- this should be very competitive with with the kids spread out among six teams, uh, three in the U.S. and three in Canada. Um, so I, I think if it's a good competitive product, uh, as skilled as they are, um, people will come out. And uh, I know that Toronto team is, is going to play at the, the Mattamy Center there in, in uh, the old Maple Leaf Gardens upstairs. Uh, great, great venue. Um, we, we've got kind of a, a, a Laurier uh, uh, component uh, with, uh, with this new league. Uh, Liz Knox, uh, Laurier goaltender, um, she, and she also played uh, pro hockey, I think, for five years in that former uh, women's league uh, She's an executive director of the the new players association. Uh, as I said, I'm very confident that uh, that they're going to be successful. Yeah. I like the size of that venue too. That the Toronto team is going to play in that that Madame Center. It's about 3,800, which will be if they can fill it, um, which will be a real nice size. Uh, apparently, Ottawa has sold out its first game. They're playing in a, a rink that I think is about 6,500. Um, a little concerned about the Minnesota franchise. The The rink they've chosen in is, uh, it's a big NHL rink. It's 18,000 capacity. And I'm just afraid that that's going to look empty. But uh, I think venues are important. I think Toronto's made a nice choice there. Uh, I, I, yeah, the product is great. Um, I remember covering uh, the 1997 World Women's Hockey Championship in Kitchener. And it was, again, Canada versus the U.S. as it's always been. But, uh, like, what a great tournament that was. The final of the place was packed, the Kitchener Auditorium. And that's a, that's been a generation ago now. That was, that'll be 20, what, 26, 27 years this March. Uh, uh, and but that's been a generation ago. And the league has, or the women's hockey has had so much to build on over the years that I'm, I'm really hoping that this is the one that really, puts it over the top well the venue you you speak of like that is important because i i know with with junior hockey and that when they're putting you know um the team like in hamilton when it had the team there it, it you know with, with the crowds they were getting if they get great crowds yeah it's it's awesome but when you're not getting great crowds it can kind of take away from things in a lot of ways for the fans and that it's kind of, you know, it doesn't have the same ambiance that most rinks will have with the big crowds filling the building. I think that that's going to be, they're sold out in Toronto for every game for the season. So it should be, should be good to watch that for sure. And I think the venue, like you say, is important with where they play will make a big difference. I'm surprised that uh, they made that decision in Minnesota. Um, it, it, uh, the atmosphere is so key and, uh, 
you know, they, they could get a similar crowd as they're, as they're getting uh, in Ottawa, 6,500 though, in an 18,000 seat uh, venue is it, it, not going to be nearly the same. No. Um, I, I'm surprised that, uh, you know, that they went ahead and did that. that. That's part of that marketing. And you'd think they'd be consistent right across a 16 league and in, in what they were looking for, but uh, we'll have to see. Maybe they'll put uh, 12 or 13,000 in there. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic. But again, I, like I said off the top, fans have got to support it. Um, you, you just can't, you can't not show up if you live in one of these markets. Um, and again, there's only three Canadian teams in, in Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa, but fans in those cities have got to show up and support these girls. Um, I think it'll come, it'll really come down to how competitive the league is and how good the games are when they play is still going to be a big factor. If they have a, if they have one team that's dominating the whole league, you might, you might find this not as interesting for people to watch. But if they see this run to the playoffs, if they see this excitement of who will get in the playoffs or who will get to win the championship, and it's going to be something where you you want to watch to see what happens, I think it'll 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 make a it'll make people really start to you know want to watch the games and stay with that sport. But if it becomes like a two team league, that'll be the problem they may run into. Yeah, and that'll be that that won't that won't help them at all. Yeah. Well, we certainly wish the league all the best. I really want to see it to succeed. Oh yeah, uh, it, it'd be terrific. And and girls hockey across North America is just huge right now. Um, even I was in Vegas last year, and they were talking about how girls hockey is the is the fastest growing girls sport in in the state of Nevada. I'm sure it's all because of the success of the Golden Knights, but I mean, girls hockey is just exploding, and uh, this would be terrific for this league to really take off. All right, great uh, conversation, guys. Uh, Spangler Cup will open on Boxing Day, and uh, this is a tournament that has been around for 100 years. First Spangler was 1923. It's uh, always held in uh, Davos, uh, Switzerland. And uh, Lance, you've got a, a, a real uh, connection to it because you officiated there. You've been to Spangler Cups. You've seen it firsthand. Uh, Canada has a team in it again this year, one of six teams in the tournament. Um uh, Bruce Boudreaux, who you mentioned a few minutes ago, will be the head coach. Joe Thornton is Canada's GM. Uh, what are your thoughts heading into the Spangler, and how will Canada do this year under Bruce Boudreaux? Well, yeah, the Spangler Cup is a special, is a very special tournament, and some people think it's an international tournament. Really, it doesn't have any international status as a tournament at all. It's just it's been a tournament that's been around, like you say, since 1923. They played outdoors at that tournament until 1975. And then they had that uh, chalet built there that they have the beautiful arena that looks like a chalet. And uh, there's a real interesting note to that. Then after 25 years, they've been in that building. It's made of all made of wood. That whole building has been, is made of, of wood. Another thing that's interesting about the, about the Spangler Cup is that it's named after Dr. Carl Spangler. And it was a tournament that he started just to, to bring uh, after World War One to get people in to, you know, internationally to come together kind of thing. But Dr. Spangler found the air there in that, in that, in Davos. It has qualities that's good for people's respiratory, for them breathing. And there's a, a Spangler Institute there that is all devoted to respiratory and breathing, you know, for people who have problems breathing or have asthma and those types of things. So those are kind of interesting, you know, side notes to the Spangler Cup. 
But as a tournament, it is fantastic. It's an amazing tournament. And Canada is always a big a big part of that tournament because they're there pretty well every year. So it, it's but it's a very competitive tournament. But it's it's people come from all over to, to come to that tournament and spend a week in Davos. So yeah, it, it'll be a wonderful a, a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful experience to go through. So I'm really interested because Bruce Brudo is such a uh, um, I I know Bruce pretty well. I you know refereed him when he was in the minors, and he's he's quite a character when you get to meet him off the ice and that. He's, they call him Gabby because he talks a lot. Don't start calling me Gabby. Anyways, the biggest thing is that uh, Bruce um, Bruce will bring a lot of lot of color to the media there because they'll get a big kick out of him. He will really make he'll make it special for sure. I, I think the way this thing is, is put together in, in terms of the Canadian team, uh, you know, they the, they bring the kids in from the, they're playing on club teams over in Europe. They'll bring them over here from uh, from the minor league uh, the AHL and so on, and so it's kind of thrown together. I don't know how long their training camp is, but I don't. I doubt very much of it's very long. They probably only have a few days prior to to to, to get together. And and uh, you, you say you know Brudo Brudo pretty well. I uh, he comes across to me not knowing him at all uh, as a, a real players coach. Uh, he he wouldn't be a big systems guy, and this is perfect. You know, throw the pucks out there and let's go get them, boys. Uh, that that's how he comes across. And I think that's perfect uh, for, for the you know for for this kind of tournament, and as I say, for putting a team together like they do. So um, it, it's a tournament I watch every year. I really enjoy it. it, it it's really fun, and and to see our kids play with that uh, Canadian flag on their jersey, uh, it doesn't matter what the name of the tournament is, uh, and uh, you you can tell by the way they compete uh, that, that that that's so important to them as well. And and uh, so I look forward to it. Yeah. Me too. I, and and Boudreaux just seems to me to be the perfect guy, as you've both mentioned, the perfect guy to coach an international uh, team like that at an international tournament. He's got all the respect you could ever want in a coach. He's coached four AHL teams. He he won a Jack Adams. He was long playing career. And yeah, I've never met him like, like you, Gary. I've never met him, but he just comes across as being a, a real... Uh, uh, players coach that uh, guys enjoy playing for and uh, I think it'll be a fun event and hopefully Canada has a real good year. Some of the some Canadians will be playing on different teams that will play against Team, team Canada and that's an interesting part of it too because when I was there refereeing there's a lot of Canadian players that were playing in, uh, on that like the game I had for the gold medal game which is uh, another story altogether but it was um a tie game and the winning the winning goal was scored by Lonnie Bohannes from Canada <laughs> against Team Canada playing for Davos mm. and it was uh an end to end rush it was an amazing goal it was it was a great you know great finish to a great game but it was Davos against Team Canada and it was a Canadian referee refereeing in a game that never happened before with Team Canada playing in the game so it's quite a. There's a lot of little things that happen at those at that Spangler Cup that are just really interesting and in, you know to to note over the years that have gone on, right? With with Team Canada and the different players that have played. So it's pretty. And neat. The, the, the crowds there in in Davos are they they appear on TV like they're they're tremendous. They 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 fill that place for every game and the atmosphere must be just great in there. 
Yeah, it's 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 uh when you go to the you go to a game and you get prepared for a, for a game, you usually get there like an hour before, you know, and there's usually there's nobody in the building really. You walk in like an hour, an hour and a half before a game. I got there an hour before the game for that, and you could hear them already chanting and singing in the stands. It was packed just for the warm up. It was uh, it's an unreal thing to to, to witness people singing and dance. And then after the game, they don't leave. They stay and they they do that for the teams come out and they do stuff for them and they have these moments with them even after the game, you know, in different in Europe like that. I could still hear them in my ears when I was going down the mountain back down to. Uh, the burn it was for about two hours i could still hear the people in my ears for that game it was just that was quite quite a a moment for me my sweater was put in the hall of fame because of that uh game because it was the first time a canadian played in um or first time they had a a canadian referee referee canadian team in the in the final at the spangler cup which in those days you didn't referee your own team basically but in the international competition but then billy mccurry did it in 20, uh, 2002 Olympics, when he did the he did the final game between uh, Canada and the U.S., which was remarkable achievement for Billy McCurry to do that game. That was the first time in the history of it, of, of the Olympics that that happened. So, yeah. when those people when those people were chanting, Lance, they were probably chanting your name, eh? No, they weren't. No, they weren't chanting my name. In fact, the coach that won the game still thought I was cheating for Canada. <laughs> <laughs> But, but you didn't do a very good job. No, I screwed that up, man. <laughs> well, we uh, will certainly watch it. It starts uh, on uh, December 26th, and uh, obviously, good luck to Canada. It's always a great yeah. event. Uh, moving on, uh, Gary uh, had a uh, an idea that uh, at one point, all three of us over the course of the next uh, few weeks here uh, get a chance to talk about our three most memorable uh, sports viewing experiences, be it uh, live in person or uh, on TV, and uh, Gary, what were your three? Well, I'd, um, I'll, I'll try and be brief. I, I could I could probably do a segment on each one of these things. <laughs> um, my, my, I think, and this may be uh, this would make be on your list as well. But uh, if you're around in 1972, I, I don't know of anything more exciting. On that first Canada-Russia uh, summit series, it, it, it's one of those that uh, you know where were you when, um, and uh, you know that the, the uh, you know the, the hype prior to. I can remember um, you know that uh, this Russian team, uh, you know they're they're not very good. Uh, their equipment is terrible. Their their skates they don't have good skates. They, the goaltending isn't very good. Um, and, and I think we approached it, our, our team approached it, uh, you know, this, this was going to be pretty easy. It's eight game series and, and uh, first game in Montreal. And I think and also back then, and, and Lance, you, you, you can probably confirm this, uh, you know, back in the early 70s, um, players used to come to camp uh, to get in shape. Uh, it, it, it's not like that anymore. They, when you come to camp, you, you better be in shape. Um, so this was our group, uh, you know, coming, getting ready for this thing. And I don't think physically or mentally they were prepared. Uh, I, I can still vividly remember game one in Montreal. We come out in the first five or six minutes and we're up two nothing. And I thought, this is just, just what the hype, you know, that, that it's going to happen. We're, we're going to run away with this thing. 
uh, we lose 7-3. And uh, these rushing kids are pretty darn good. Uh, and the goaltending is outstanding. Trejack's a goaltender. Um, and then we come back. We win in Toronto 4-1. We tie in, in Winnipeg. And then we go to Vancouver and lose. So we're down 2-1-1. Uh, I remember Phil Esposito coming on the, the air after that, that game in Vancouver and and uh, kind of berating the fans, really, you know. But but we weren't ready. We weren't ready for this thing. We go to Russia. We lose the first one over there. Um, and then come back and win the next three. Uh, and uh, I, I, I've never seen anything more exciting uh, in, in hockey. Um, it, it, was, uh, it was phenomenal. It, it was, uh, and it wasn't just hockey. It was, it was our way of life against their way of life. Uh, Canada and Russia and, and some of the things that happened over there, Alan Eagleson running across the ice, and I can still see all that stuff. Um, I think it was uh, Parise that he, you're gonna, he, in the penalty box, he was on the ice, he was going to take his stick to somebody. Um, uh, but it, it was great, great stuff. And of course, Paul Henderson, uh, you know, he, he nets the winner. Uh, and we win the last game six to five. So um, that particular series is, is definitely, uh, or that event is one of the, the ones that I most covered. No, I mean, it, I mean, any Canadian over the age of sixty would probably have to put that top of the list. I mean, I was, uh, I would have been thirteen, uh, and I remember watching uh, all those games, and and the last one watching it at school, and uh, and then uh, you know we all shut down the school that last day for the game eight, and uh, yeah, it was just fantastic uh, experience to watch as a young Canadian, and something I'll never forget. Well, of course. I mean, like, was, uh, I remember being—I remember being you know, in class and the teacher bringing in a TV, and we all sat and watched the game. It was, it was, yeah. I mean, Paul Anderson, the fact that he's not in the Hall of Fame—it just blows my mind. But anyway, that's not a story of the other day. But he, he, you know, those two, those goals he scored—he scored more. He scored, you know, what was it, two or three of the overtime uh, winning goals in that the last three games. He, he scored I mean, the winner. He scored the winner in the last three games. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's amazing that that you know watching him score that goal and the excitement and that I I I mean that was it was tremendous. I mean we didn't know who these guys were for sure. I mean I ended up refereeing Igor Larionov. He played. He came over and played for Detroit. There was they, they, I had him in the international competition that whole Red Army in Calgary, and that's another uh, interesting time with them refereeing that team. They had Kazatonov and they had uh, Fedosov, Larionov, all of them playing at that time, Markov. And uh, refereeing those guys was, was kind of – there's some interesting stories there, I'll say, with, the, with, that, uh, with that team and the Russians and how they worked with worked the international referees. Then they can't speak English and stuff like that when you're on the ice refereeing. But Igor Larionov was one of the most uh, – one of the, the kindest and, and one of the, the – uh, one of the best individuals I ever refereed was Igor Lariano. Hmm. By, by, but you know, he, his, his demeanor and how he talked to you was always respectful. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was an, he was an amazing person off the ace and on the ace, Igor Lariano. That's nice to hear. That's nice to hear that. Uh, I think of, uh, Harlemoff, uh, probably one of the greatest players in the world. 
and uh, as you say, we we didn't know who they were, but my goodness, what a great hockey player and what a tragic ending that uh, you know for for his life. But uh, yeah, they 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 were awful good. Yakashev, another big kid. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, and their goaltender, Trechak. Trechak won bad. He won bad. Well, I remember in '72, Trechak was only about 20 or 21 years old, wasn't he? He probably, I, 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 I'm not sure, but uh, I'm sure he was a youngster. I mean, I remember him coming in as being just a kid that really no one in Canada had ever heard of. And, wow, by the end of that eight-game tournament, everybody in Canada knew who Trechak was. Gary, I feel bad, but we're not going to get to uh, your most memorable two and three. <laughs> We've already got about six minutes on just this one, so... Yeah. I, 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 was, I was afraid of that. I'll, I'll just I'll just name them. The 2000, <laughs> okay. 2010 Winter Olympics uh, and uh, a, a horse called Big Red uh, Secretariat and, and uh, the, the Triple Crown. Uh, they were my three. Well, and maybe another day we can go through them. Absolutely. And 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 Secretariat. Uh, that's something we can talk about maybe as we get closer to uh, the uh, the uh, Triple Crown season because uh, that was just. A fantastic story and that was 73 so that's that's 50 years ago uh already yep. and wow all right well let's move on guys to our our final topic today uh christmas is uh only days away here so this is our, our christmas show and uh we thought it'd be an, a neat idea first of all i'm going to put on a prop here just a second just to get in to get in the christmas theme i'm going to cover my head here there's my there's my santa hat um, actually, it's a it's not a it's not a hat. It's a, a big stocking, but it fits my head, so I'll I'll wear that. Um, what would we like to see our favorite sports teams get for Christmas from Santa Claus, Gary? Uh, my my team that uh, uh, that that I'm hopeful uh, um, will get what they wish is is a Laurier uh, football team, and uh, I, I'm hopeful that. Uh, Coach Falls and, and and the rest of the staff, Ron Van Moorkirk and and uh, Todd Galloway, they're able to go out and, and recruit and, and get the kids they want here this winter, uh, and uh, and can complement the group that they have coming back. They do have a young team coming back. Uh, it, it's an outstanding football team in my view. Uh, they came up short this year in the Eights Cup, so my hope is that uh, they they put the pieces together. They work like heck in the off season. And next year, come out and uh, we can grab that Yates Cup. Uh, the national semifinal next year goes east. Uh, so I, I think there's a, there's a nice opportunity for us uh, in the next year to, uh, or, or next year specifically, uh, to get to the Vanier. So that's my hope and that's my team. Lance? Well, I, I was going to talk about the Blue Jays and uh, hopefully that they uh... – they can bring some hitters in. They can bring somebody home and, and get some runs next year. That would be my Christmas wish for the Toronto Blue Jays because they're really the only team I really have a big, you know, kind of a fan thing for. But also hope for the team, my other team, the referees team. I hope for the referees team out there in the NHL and all the referees and referee and all the local uh, sports that they have make all the right calls and have no controversy and all the fans love them. That's my wish for all of my my referee team. Well, good good luck with that. <laughs> I 
I, it's funny. I, I'm going to preface this by saying I don't really have favorite teams. I, I cheer more for players that I, I either know or have uh, interviewed in the past and have just sort of liked them as people. So I'm not really a big team guy, but if I'm going to pick a team that I hope something for Christmas, I'm going to take the Detroit Lions and hope that uh, Santa brings them a playoff victory uh, this winter because here's a team that, uh, and I, I live an hour from Detroit now, so uh, you know I hear a lot about the Lions in in media, uh, local media, and just people on the street talking about the Lions because a lot of friends are, are season ticket holders. But here's a team, since 1957, they are 1-12 and 12 in playoff games. They've won one playoff game in since 1957. So they're long due. Uh, they've had a great year. They're in first place. And uh, the fans down in this area... In southern Ontario, uh, just love the Lions in in Windsor, Chatham, and uh, that's that's my hope that the Lions will get a playoff win, and uh, hopefully it'd be at home. That'd be terrific too. They don't get many chances to play playoff games at home, but maybe this will be the year. So that maybe, maybe Randy, you can hope a little bit if you're you're talking Detroit, just to lo- save a little bit of that hope for the Detroit Pistons. Uh, that they possibly win a basketball game here uh, in 2004 or 2024, rather. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, having, a they're having a rough run. That for sure. Pistons. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Gary. That uh, that Pistons team of the late '80s is such a distant memory now. Uh, you know that team with Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer that won championships. That seems that seems so long ago now. In uh, Pistons world it's, it's almost hard to believe all right fellas uh that's about it we are uh to time and um yeah just uh I guess a couple of uh things we want to mention um please uh, remember to uh, like subscribe or uh comment on our show uh we do have an email address uh, it is what do you know about sports at gmail.com. You can contact us and let us know what you think. And um, yeah, it's it's Christmas, guys. So I wanted to get you both something. I looked it up. This is our fifth show. Um, so the, the fifth anniversary gift is wood. So I got you both uh, wooden uh, spoons. Um, to be honest, they were just... Uh, Sitting around our house, we were probably going to throw them out anyway. So you can have them. Merry that's Christmas. called that's called regifting. That's not that's not I, not allowed. That's regifting. That's some poor people gave you that for a Christmas gift, and you're giving it to us now. I don't that's even know that it's regifting. It, it's uh, finding something better to do with something that I was going to throw out anyway. Yeah, <laughs> Randy, I, just just to to to, uh, to end this thing, I, I want to wish all our viewers a. Uh, uh, a happy and and safe, uh, healthy uh, holiday season. And uh, we certainly appreciate the fact that you're looking in and, and we look forward to, uh, to continuing this into 2024. So Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year to, to everyone out there. That, that's what I would say. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and have a safe holiday. And all the best for the new year. And we'll look forward to seeing you again. Very good. We'll see you soon, guys. 